Okay, wow. Well, here we are. <laughs> well, it really is a pleasure be to be able to share with you today. And I feel like I've just got so much to say, so I'm going to jump straight into it, if that's okay. So today, I've entitled my message, The Race and the Rules. Okay, so why do we need rules in a race? Well, it, it probably is fairly obvious, but just let me highlight a few reasons for you this morning. So firstly, they provide an agreement of understanding for everyone involved. They define what should and shouldn't be done. And they protect and keep people safe as they act as a guide for the race. We can only imagine what a race without rules would be like. In fact, I've got three small children, so I've seen a few of these races at home. There's either no rules altogether, they just make the rules up as they go along, or they completely disregard the rules. And it more often than not ends in chaos, confusion, tears, until the race is completely abandoned. A race needs rules. And the same is true for our Christian life. And the verse that we're going to look, out to look at today to shed some light on this is Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter, of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the Bible gives us many illustrations of what aspects of a Christian life is like. In, a the in Ephesians, we're in a wrestling match. In Timothy, we are good soldiers of Jesus Christ to fight the good fight. We need to withstand, take, up, take on armor to withstand, and now we are runners in a race and all these illustrations should indicate to us that the Christian life is not going to be so easy. You know, to receive salvation in Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins, that's simple. He's made that simple for us. But then to continue to walk in that and to be true followers of Jesus Christ, it's not always going to be easy. It's going to require effort and sacrifice and dedication. It's going to require courage it is actively advancing. It is not stationary. The Christian life ran well is going to require something from us. Now, the book of Hebrews, we believe, was written to people who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. And they were being and had been persecuted for their new faith in Jesus Christ. And they were tempted to go back to their old way of living. And the writer is saying to them and urging them, look, in the midst of so much pressure and trials and temptation and confusion, in the midst of all that, there is some really important things that you need to do that's going to enable you to carry on. And he breaks it down for us and he says, look, you're in a race, you're in a race, but you're not the first ones to have run this race. This race has been run before by men and women who ran this race well. And he says, there is some stuff you're going to have to do. There are some actions you're going to have to purposely take. And then he uses the word endurance out to run with endurance. Who likes the word endurance? <laughs> okay, we need to develop an endurance. And interestingly, 
The Greek word for endurance is hupomone, which means to patiently bear up under challenges and trials. The ability to patiently bear up under the challenges of life. And then he says, the race has been clearly marked out for us. And then we're given the golden rule, which is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because he's been identified as two very important things for us in this passage. He's been identified as the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the race, the runners, the restrictions, the rule, and then lastly, the realization. We can do it, can't we? We're good. We're going to get through it. Okay, what time is it? (laughs) Okay, the first one, the race. We ready? On your marks? (laughs) So we... As Christians are in a race, and the race we run is the race of faith. It is a faith race. And we can understand this by how the author in the previous chapters goes into great detail to explain that salvation now comes from faith in Jesus Christ alone. He says how Jesus is superior to anything else that has been before, superior to angels, to Moses, to the law, to the animal sacrifices, and to the Levitical priesthood. Jesus is supreme, and we're now to look to Jesus and put our faith in Jesus for salvation and the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. For faith in the new covenant, in, the, in what Jesus' blood has secured for us, And faith in the way he has opened up for us to come into the presence of God and have a relationship with him. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then following chapter 10, he goes into um, chapter 11, which is where he introduces us to these great men and women who have lived their life of faith. Men and women who weren't living in the promise fulfilled of the Messiah and the hope of heaven, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. So they were looking forward as we are looking back. Now, the entrance to the race is by faith. Once you put your faith in the salvation and complete redeeming work of Jesus Christ, congratulations, you're in the race. Welcome. (laughs) And it is by faith that we're able to stay in the race, to persevere in the race and take ground and advance in the race. You know, we know faith, to have faith is so important. The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who does come to God must believe he exists and he is a rewarder of those that earnestly seek him. But the Bible is calling us to develop an enduring faith. You know, faith isn't something that we try to exert for a little while until we receive the the promised blessings from God that we desire. Faith is a position we take our whole life. It is where we stand our whole life. Faith is a perspective we have of who God is, the the goodness of God, the truthfulness of his word and his love and faithfulness. And we lock into that truth and we don't allow ourselves to be blown about. Hebrews chapter 10 says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. 
Hebrews 6.12, we don't want you to become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We need to develop a faith that endures, a patient faith that is a lifelong trust and confidence in God. The Christian life is a faith race. And the race has been clearly marked out for us. The course of our race has been set. And luckily for us, our race isn't marked out by Facebook. (laughs) It isn't marked out by what our friends and our work colleagues might be getting up to. It isn't marked out by what our neighbours have just bought. Ours is a God-anointed path into Christ-likeness and Christ-oneness. The course that has been marked out for us by God. Romans 8.29 says, For those he foreknew and loved and chose beforehand, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son and ultimately sharing the complete sanctification so that he will be the firstborn, the most beloved and honored among many believers. He is our aim. He is our goal. He is our reward. And there's also this beautiful uh, piece of scripture in 2 Corinthians where he says, we all now with unveiled faces. So the veil's been torn by the body of Jesus. We have unveiled faces. We behold the glory of God and we're being conformed, transformed into his image. You know, Paul knew the aim of his race. He was well aware and he grabbed a hold of it with both hands. He says in Philippians, Philippians 3.12, Not that I have already obtained it, this goal of being Christ-like, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it on my own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind... And reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He knew his race. And he says a bit later on in the verse, I'm not running aimlessly. There's a clear goal for my race. I'm not flapping about. I'm not running around in circles. He describes it as a boxer shadow boxing. He says, I'm not that. I know my aim and and I pursue it with conviction and purpose and passion. The aim The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, intimately and experientially. Being like him in his sufferings and death, as we are inwardly being continually continually dying to ourselves and being transformed into his likeness, so we can know the power of his resurrection. That dynamic power that is given to us by the Holy Spirit, so we're able to walk this life like Jesus walked, in love and in power, in blessings and of godly character. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus until ultimately we finish our race and we're with him in his presence, in his fullness, in his glory, and we receive our imperishable crown, our heavenly prize, eternity with him. We don't run aimlessly. We run with the same aims and the same goals that Paul ran. And Paul was so highly motivated by this. He used his language such as, I'm gripped, I'm consumed, passion, everything else before this I consider a loss. And he urges us, believers, to imitate his walk with Christ. And now we get to the runners. The runners who have gone before us. 
these men and women that we've been introduced to in chapter 11. Their lives give testimony to us of the value and the power and the blessedness of a life lived in faith. And since we can see their lives, since we have these witnesses, then we're to run the same race. And it's possible there were men and women just like we are, yet, like we've said, they weren't living in the promise fulfilled. We are. So even more reason for us to run faster and harder and with passion and conviction. And their lives, they also show us that it's worth it. This race is worth it. You know, for Enoch, he walked into the presence of God. He escaped death. Noah and his family escaped the floods. Abraham, his faith led him to a covenant with God and the promise of a son fulfilled. And people were able to to bear up under great pressure and persecution with joy and courage because they had locked into the faith of the good things that were to come for them. And you know, I love the Bible. It's timeless, isn't it? It's timeless. What applied to them and was important for them back there then is the same for us today. Jesus never changes. Jesus never changes. We belong to a mighty company of runners in the heavenly race. And they were winners and we will be winners. So like these men and women, we can fully yield and abandon ourselves in faith and let Jesus write our faith story so the generations to come after us can read our story and be encouraged and go further than we could on the witnesses of our faith story. And then we come to the restrictions. The Bible says that that we have things that are holding us back and weighing us down and they're they're hindering us in our race, they're they're stopping us in our race and, and we need to have an awareness of these. We need to understand these because we've been told to lay them down. And we're told that they are weights and sins, two separate things that slow us down in the race. And the author of Hebrews, he doesn't specify the weights, he doesn't tell us what they are. But in the previous chapters, he's been addressing people's old legalistic religious mindsets, them old unrenewed minds. They, they, they hadn't fully been able to let go of their stuff in their head and it was pulling them back, like it was holding them back from the race, from running the race. You know, we cannot move forward with conviction and passion into the fullness and purpose of the life that God wants to give us if we are still holding on to our weighty, unrenewed mindsets. It's going to hold us back too much. You know, whatever our upbringing has conditioned us to believe about ourselves, whatever religion might have conditioned our minds to believe, the culture and the environment we are raised in, the social circumstances of the financial circumstances, whatever this world has tried to dictate to us, we were before Jesus Christ and we need to lay it down. We need to let go of it. Whatever is in our belief system about ourselves that doesn't match up with the word of God, the Bible tells us we're to cast it away. Cast it away. You know, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A mind renewed 
with who you are in Jesus Christ. A mind renewed by the Holy Spirit. A mind renewed with the purpose and the destiny God has put on your life. A mind renewed with who God says you are and what you can become. God's word is truth, the Bible says. God's word is truth and there is freedom in truth. Where the spirit of God is, there is liberty. It severs the weights. The truth severs the weights and, it, and we lighter and we freer and we can run faster and further. And you know, we've all been through stuff in our lives, haven't we? You know, we have. We've all been through hard stuff. We've all experienced hard stuff, not nice things, you know. The world has tried to leave its mark on all of us. But what you've been through does not define who you are. God defines who you are. Come on, he was the one that formed you in his mother's womb, your mother's womb. He was the one that knew you in your mother's womb. He was the one that made you fearfully and wonderfully. And he is the one that has sealed you with the promised Holy Spirit. God defines who you are, not the world, not what you've been through. God defines who you are. And we've got to lay down these weights. We've got to lay down these weights and walk in that freedom. We've got to do it. And the sin that does so easily entangle us. What stops us in our race? Do you know, doesn't the devil just love to make us still feel condemned and ashamed? You know, them voices in our head of, you're just not worthy enough. You're never going to get over that particular sin in your life. You're just never going to do it. But you know, the truth is, the truth is, Jesus has freed us from the penalty and the power of sin. And we have been born again, so we are blameless before God. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, willingly offering himself on it as, on, as an altar of sacrifice so that, that we might die to our sin, become immune to the penalty and the power of sin, and live for the righteousness. For by his wounds, you who believe have been healed. Jesus has broke the power of sin over us. And we now, who are born again, have the ability, by, given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, to turn from our sins and walk by the Spirit, walk in this higher way. And with effort and perseverance, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And the Bible calls this a new, crea new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted to him, joined to him by faith, joined to him by faith, him as Savior, he is a new creation. Reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit, the old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus and who have been born again, we are new creations. It's not something we're trying to earn. We are new creations. It's happened. It's already been done. And we need to understand it. We need to believe it. And we need to walk in it and persevere. And then we get to the, the rule, the golden rule, the bit I've been wanting to get to, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> We're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. If we're going to be able to run this faith race well, we need to go to the one who birthed faith in us and is the, the source of our faith. 
to have a single focus on Jesus would imply that we need to turn away from other things. We need to take our attention and, and our gaze and our focus away from other things to be singly focused on Jesus. As we fix our eyes on him, we receive from him. And we can't expect to receive from him while we're somewhere else. He is the source of our faith. You know, some people know a bit of my story, others don't, but my dad was an alcoholic. And, you know, he was a good man. He was. He just didn't have Jesus, and then he couldn't win his battle. But we watched his life unravel, and it destroyed our family until he died when I was 18 years old on the sofa gripping a whiskey bottle at his home. It's just that picture. And that obviously left me with a lot of internal things to process as an 18-year-old girl. Confusion, fear, anger, rejection, insecurity. And, and I looked to the world for something to help me, just something to settle this, this war and this conflict that was going on inside of me. Some sort of distraction to drown, drown out the noises of unlove, unlovable unwanted, unworthy, you're never going to be good enough. I needed something. I needed something to give my life a hope and a purpose, something solid I could begin to build my life on. And I looked in the world, I looked hard enough and I looked long enough, but I couldn't find it there because it is not there to be found. It is not there to be found. I was so thirsty for love and acceptance, but I was trying to drink from an empty cup. Have you ever tried to drink from an empty cup and it's left you thirsty, needing more? <laughs> We're drinking from empty cups. And even today, I have to constantly be reminding myself that I can't drink from an empty cup and expect to be filled. We, you know, we were never designed to fill ourselves from the world and worldly distractions. We were never meant to quench our thirst with people's approvals and validations or prestige or possessions or titles or any other worldly distraction. And I'm not saying they're all bad things. They're not. I'm just saying they're never going to fully satisfy your thirst. We need to go to Jesus and be filled with the eternal living water. We need to drink from Jesus. Drink freely from the water of life that satisfies us forever. That eternal living water which gushes up inside of us, a Holy Spirit life inside of us and becomes a fountain of living water. We need to go to the spirit of life himself and be filled by him. It is the only way. We're going to stay hydrated with enough faith to endure this race. We need to go to Jesus. And he is also the perfecter of our faith. You know, Jesus' life was the perfect model of faith. Jesus lived in perfect faith, perfect faith and trust and confidence in the Father, totally, totally yielded, totally abandoned to the Father. And as we fix our eyes on him, he perfects the faith in us. So then by faith, we can live the life that Jesus did. Philippians 1.6 says, I am convinced and confident of this, that he who begun a good work in you will continue to perfection and complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, the time of his return. 
he perfects the faith in us so we can live the life that we were originally created to live before the fall. And now, the bad news. <laughs> this isn't always going to be easy. This is not always going to be easy. This is where the pain and the burn can set in. Because Jesus calls us to some pretty difficult stuff, doesn't he? You know, he says, lay down your life. Surrender. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. The gate is narrow and the road is difficult. Difficult stuff, isn't it? But Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the absolute truth that we have to live our lives by. You know, worldly truth is subjective. What I may perceive to be true about a particular thing might not be the same for you. It might be different, and it depends on a number of things. It can depend on our upbringing, our culture, our um, influences, the outlook we have on life. It is different person to person. But Jesus is absolute truth. Absolute truth. And Pontius Pilate once asked Jesus a very important question when he summoned him to his palace. And it's recorded in the Gospel of uh, John 18. Um, so Pontius Pilate says, you're a king then? Says Pilate, that's not the important question. We get into it. <laughs> Jesus answers, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pontius Pilate. With this, he went out again um, to the Jews who were gathered there and said, I find no basis to charge this man. What is truth? Here he is, Pontius Pilate, beholding the embodiment of truth as he's grappling to make one of the most enormous decisions in his life. And he drops his gaze and he turns away from him. And just like truth stood before Pontius Pilate there, he stands before each one of us today. He stands before us as we live our lives, as we make our momentous decisions, as we grapple with the challenges of life. Truth stands before us and we must decide. We must decide. It is our decision. Are we going to look away? Are we going to drop our gaze and turn away when the road gets too when race gets too difficult? Are we going to look away? When it's too hard just to forgive that person again, it's too hard to love that person anymore. It's too hard to even love anyone again. It's too hard to subdue our pride and come under authority. It's too hard to turn the other cheek or keep our mouths closed. It's too hard to be obedient to God. It is just too hard to continue to follow Jesus. What are we going to do? Are we going to look away? Or are we going to keep our eyes fixed immovably, unwaveringly, untently on Jesus Christ, the perfecter of our faith. And let him perfect that faith within us like the refining of pure gold so then we can walk this life which is pleasing to God in godly character. The choice is ours. Are we going to look away or are we going to stay fixed on Jesus? And Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. So we can be encouraged that when we embrace truth in our life, we are also embracing life. He always wants to take us to that place of more abundant life. We embrace life. 
Jesus was the perfect um, example, perfect model for us. The scripture said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was able to endure to the end because of the joy set before him. He had his eyes and his mind and his attention on heavenly things, the unseen eternal things, not the earthly seen things. And he sat down. He had his eyes on the prize that was waiting for him, his reward. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And let me take the time to remind you this morning, there's a place there for you too. He has raised us up in Christ Jesus to sit in heavenly places with him. And this is a beautiful thing about the heavenly race of faith. We will win if we endure. We will win. The victory is ours. It has been decided. There is a place for us there if we endure just need to keep our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith on Jesus. Now, I want to end this um, message with one last point, and that is realization. What is our realization of Jesus? What is our understanding of Jesus? What do we see when we look to Jesus? And this is, this is really important because it's really, it's really going to determine how we're going to endure the race. What do we see? Jesus um, once asked one of his closest disciples something similar. He said, but what about you, Peter? What do you say? Who do you say that I am? What is your understanding of me, Peter? What do you see when you look to Jesus? Do you see a God who is still angry at you because of your mistakes and failures? Do you feel ashamed when you look to Jesus because you're still conscious of that sin? Do you only see all the reasons why Jesus couldn't possibly love you so you push him away? Or maybe you haven't looked in a little while because you've become discouraged. You've stopped in your race. Can we just all stand, please, as we come to a close? I just... I just really want to begin to start worshiping Jesus now. I just, we're going to open the front up here for prayer. And please, I invite you to come up if you want prayer. But I just want you to look to him now. I just want you to, to put your eyes on him now. Because I believe this morning, I really believe that Jesus is beckoning us all to look to him again with fresh eyes this morning. I believe he wants us to see the absolute truth of who he is. Not what the world has told us he is. Not what hard times has told us he is. Not what circumstances have told us he is. But the truth of who he is and who he wants to be in our lives. I believe this morning we need to wipe the fog of discouragement and disappointment from our eyes and see the Lord of our life again. Look to the one this morning who loves you so much it is indescribable. Look to the one this morning who has washed you clean whiter than snow. Look to the one who never takes his eyes off you and he's always trying to guide you into a full and blessed life. Look to the one who is the healer of your body if you're sick. Look to the one who is the shepherd of your soul. Look to the one who will never leave you. Others may fall away, but he will not leave you. Let him fill you for the race this morning. The great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who has all power in heaven and on earth. Amen. Let's worship Jesus. I have decided to find
Yeah. 